It is 7.44, a lovely Saturday morning in time for our weekly wine chat with Jack Farrell from Haskell's. And Jack, I always learn so much. <laughs> Steve, you're just too kind. Today I thought we'd talk about one of my favorite wines and wine areas in the entire world, and that is Chianti. In addition to fabulous landscape and great vistas wherever you are, it's one of the most beautiful that is Chianti. In addition to fabulous landscape and great vistas wherever you are, it's one of the most beautiful vineyard areas in the entire world. You know, Tuscany, that whole area is full of hill towns, and you look up at these marvelous castles and fortresses and, and beautiful cathedrals and churches. I mean, it's a fabulous place. And they happen to produce some marvelous wine called Chianti. Uh, Chianti has a very noble history. In the 13th century, they referred to the mountains of Chianti and the wines of that area. And that was a long time ago, uh, in 1278 or 1298, whatever it was. Anyhow, and then the uh, Chianti itself was designated by Cosmo III de' Medici, who was the Grand Duke of Florence and covered this whole area. And he particularly outlined a specific area that could produce Chianti. And that was in 1716. So that's 350-some years ago. And then it didn't. It went till 1840, where Baron Riccasoli, who was the prime minister of Italy at the time, decided to absolutely designate not only the area that could produce Chianti, but the grape types that went into it. And then in 32, we got the actual uh, regulations regarding Chianti in the Italian Department of Agriculture. And then it was as late as 1996 where they determined the blend could be 100% Sangiovese. So you see there, uh, there's 700 years of regulation and deregulation, etc. So Chianti's had a noble history. It was had a bad rap in this country. After World War II, people drank a lot of wine. And it, uh, Chianti itself meant very cheap wine. And uh, that that's unfortunate, but that's the way it was. They, Gallo's even marketed in a gallon jug something called Paisano, which means friend in Italian. Or they also uh, marketed a Chianti in a gallon jug. And it was just uh, a boom time for wines, period. But people kind of turned their noses up a little at Chianti. Then, you, of course, you, when you went into an Italian restaurant, you saw a fiasco on the table. That's Italian for flask. And what that is is a bottle wrapped in raffia, a wicker, uh, type of wicker raffia. And it's kind of cute. Looks like today those are just bottles for special occasions and that kind of thing. And most Chianti comes in a Bordeaux-shaped normal wine bottle, what you'd expect. And But those Rafia bottles had a good purpose years and years ago when they would go out into the fields to work for all day. The night before, they would lower the bottle with the wrapper into the well. In the morning, when they were going off to work with their lunch, they'd pull up that bottle from the well, and the raffia would be soaking wet. And then when they went in the fields, they'd put that bottle somewhere 
in the warmth of sunshine, and the bottle, uh, the water would be evaporated and thus keep that wine nice and cool for lunch. So those Rafia bottles were originally very good kind of uh, a vacuum bottle to keep something uh, cold and chilled for you during the day. And uh, anyhow, it seemed to work uh, a great deal. People loved it, etc. There's Italian restaurants, had loads of them in, but it didn't do very much for the wine itself. Then in the late 60s, uh, some uh, American interests began to move into the Tuscany area. And the Tuscany area, where Chiani is grown, is a huge area. On the north, uh, we find Florence. On the south, Siena. And it almost crosses the entire width of the Italian peninsula. Uh, and that whole area uh, produces Chiani. And it produces a lot of Chiani. There's about 40,000 acres of vineyards in that whole area. Like I say, it's such a beautiful area. Uh, in fact, when we were talking about regulations, one thing I omitted was uh, in the 30s when they did the DOC, they uh, decided that the best uh, Chianti and the Chianti from the best region could have a black rooster on the neck of the bottle. And that's still the case. Some people put it on, some don't. So it isn't a, a guideline anymore, but they can put it on. And it's very funny that the Gallo Winery, which, you know, is a, uh, Gallo owns about 30% of the wine business in the United States. If we had the time, and it would take probably an hour, I could read off all the labels that Gallo owns, and everybody listening would be absolutely surprised that they own so many brands. And it's no wonder that they dominate the wine business with uh, double digits. I don't remember the exact amount, but it's well over 10, 20% of the wine market in the United States is owned by the Gallo family. Well, they've always been protective of their name, and they sued the Italian government from using the name Gallo, uh, which means rooster in uh, Italian, and of course, they don't lose many cases, but they lost that one, and the Italian government prevailed. But the wines of Tuscany are really great, and Chiani is one of my – it's such a versatile wine. It's almost all-purpose. Uh, the Sangiovese grape, which is the principal grape type of uh, all Chiani, is really uh, a marvelously adaptive grape. I mean, you could have Chianti with a burger on a grill, and you could have a nice Chianti with prime rib. Uh, you could have a Chianti, a light Chianti, uh, with a seafood bouillabaisse, which I have had, or uh, chipino, as the Italians call it. It's a Ita- uh, fish stew, and actually, it isn't bad. It's the only place where I have ever owned a vineyard. I owned a vineyard, part of a vineyard anyway, in uh, a little town called Grevi in Chianti, and it was called Villa Cafaggio. And Villa Cafaggio obviously was very dear and near to my heart uh, because of my ownership. And we did a lot of interesting, fun things at Villa Cafaggio. Uh, one time we did an experiment there on cork uh, versus uh, Stelvin sealed uh, screw cap bottles. And uh, we experimented with. Uh, Incidentally, if you go outside of the formula for Chianti and say you make a Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, 100%, which we did, 
uh, that could be called the Super Tuscan. And those Super Tuscan wines, <coughs> which can be any grape type, uh, they're simply labeled Vina Tavola or table wine. They have no accreditation with the Italian government or the Department of Agriculture. But nonetheless, those Super Tuscan wine command awesome prices, over hundreds of dollars a bottle. And it's remarkable because it shows you really how high quality the soil in this Chiani region is because they're taking, say, a Cabernet Sauvignon or a Marilola or a Syrah or any blend thereof and making a Super Tuscan. And uh, the government just says it's table wine. That's it. But they get those prices because the wine is that good, which is indicative of the area uh, of Tuscany there. The, the soil qualities are amazing. There's also inside of that huge area that's Tuscany or Chianti is uh, Brunello di Montalcino. Uh, and that wine is also a very expensive wine usually, and it, it is a marvelous expression of Sangiovese grapes. And that's kind of a sub-thing. They could declass all their wine and sell it as Chianti, but they choose not to. And they sell it for a, a premium because the wine is so good. And like I say, that's the joy, in my opinion, of uh, having a Chianti wine. They're so versatile. Uh, and generally, they don't break the bank. They're a modestly priced wine that uh, can be real enjoyable. You don't have to just have pasta to have Chianti. It's so versatile. And uh, also with Chianti, particularly if you have a relatively inexpensive Chianti, there's nothing wrong with putting a little chill on it. Uh, the wines taste better that way. And the area itself, if you ever get the opportunity to go and traverse that whole uh, Tuscany region, which gets its name from the Etruscans, which had a vast civilization there uh, prior to the Roman Empire, and they're very sophisticated. And incidentally, they've discovered lots and lots of wineries with Etruscan base. So they were making wines there for a good long time and in the process have really learned to do a good job of it. Uh, I really think that Chianti might be the best expression of Sangiovese grapes that there is. I may get a lot of argument from lovers of Brunello di Montalcino, uh, but I think that a good Chianti is hard to beat. And Chianti, you know, takes a little, just a regular Chianti would take a little bottle age anywhere from four to seven years, uh, and if it's a, a classic or a more expensive one, uh, it'll last up to 20 years. And that's a very high compliment to the wine itself and the winemaker, too. And the winemakers today and the equipment come from all over the world. They really have elevated their game. Uh, today it's very popular, <laughs> much like the Napa Valley was 20 years ago when businessmen would come down from San Francisco, buy a weekend little farm or mini farm and start experimenting growing grapes. Well, that's what they do in Florence now. These wealthy businessmen are coming out into the Tuscan region, buying a farmhouse, remodeling it, spending millions of dollars, and then deciding, well, might as well have my own wine and planting acreage uh, in grapes. And, of course, that makes the place charming to visit. The hospitality in that part of Italy is just amazing. And I don't have to go on about the food because everybody knows 
it's very hard in Italy to get a bad meal anywhere. And in this region of Tuscany, with where wines are so important and such a big part of the economy as well as the lifestyle, etc., uh, you're bound to get some good food. And the places you can visit there are just incredible. You know, it's a walk through uh, the past centuries as you go through those cathedrals and vast plazas. Uh, of all these little towns that are there, uh, whether you're going to Pisa, yes, and Pisa is in Tuscany, and they make Chianti right almost on the outskirts of the town. Uh, and uh, so it's a big, big area, and it produces wonderful, wonderful wines. Uh, if you get a chance, I'd suggest take a leisurely trip through Tuscany. You will not be disappointed. It, it's picturesque. Uh, the food is good, the wine is terrific, it's Chiani, and you'll have a very, very good time. And incidentally, uh, speaking of good times, Ted Farrell put together a fall wine selection that is really just terrific. Uh, he's got five different wines, uh, one for kids back to school, a nice glass of Prosecco after you push the kids off to school. You could even add a little orange juice and make it a mimosa. Uh, time on the patio. Salt Sauvignon Blanc. This is the one of the best Sauvignon Blancs I've run across in years. It comes from the northwest part of the United States, and it's just terrific. Salt Sauvignon Blanc. And then there's Angel's Landing Pinot Noir. Couldn't be a better wine to have with everything. What a great all-purpose wine. And then to accompany beef stew, how about Bernard's Cote Rhone? Lovely, accessible, and all of these are very modestly priced, I might add. And by the by, uh, it's not too late to sign up for our wonderful uh, cruise out of Stillwater on the St. Croix River next Saturday. It leaves at noon and goes till 3 o'clock, and it's a great visit uh, of the uh, river. And not only that, the leaves should be changing next week, uh, or starting to, and you get some a wonderful color, and you get a wonderful lunch and tasting of hundreds of wines, beers, spirits, and ciders. And that is outstanding. Pardon and, me, Steve? Yeah, and I was just going to say, Jack, um, uh, once again, Haskell's stores all over town. Everywhere. We have a Haskell's in Bloomington, Excelsior, Faribault, right off at 35. Our Maple Grove Supercellar is not to be missed. 22,000 square feet of wines in Maple Grove. Downtown Minneapolis has free parking on Saturday and Sunday. There's a Haskell's at Minnetonka at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Island Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come in, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, we do deliver. And, Steve, I'm going to look forward to talking to you again another time. Yes, and uh, Denny Long on a Good Neighbor Tour. Jack, uh, always great to hear from you in our weekly wine chat. Once again, Jack Farrell from Haskell's here on News Talk. E3O, WCCO, the news coming up next. 